And this, this morning, Jim is going to be preaching on the practice of fellowship. And our text for today is going to be Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And uh, this section comes right off the heels of one of my favorite sections at the beginning of chapter 2, as it just, as Paul describes our identity um, and who we are in Christ. It talks about, in the first part of 2, it talks about God who is rich in mercy. And even though we were dead in our transgressions, he, he made us alive in Christ. It goes on to say, he talks about how we're saved by grace through faith. And that it's this incredible gift of God and that we are created in Jesus for good works. And so once we realize these things, this next section in uh, 11 through 22 just talks about this unity that we have in Christ. So I'm going to be reading. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those the circumcised, which is done in flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ. Excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. This morning, we are continuing in our series, Every Given Sunday, And just want to let you understand kind of how this series came to be. We had spent about 18 months going through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, you and I have an opportunity to read how the early church acted, how the early church responded to the difficulties that they found themselves in. And then we could learn, well, that's what they did. Maybe we should follow in the same way. The problem is, is that many of us read the Bible and then stay kind of in our similar rut. This is how the early church did it. Oh, that's helpful. But this is kind of how we do it. And we never really had an opportunity in certain instances to directly look at exactly what we do every Sunday. And that's what this series is designed to do. So we're talking about what happens every given Sunday. It's good to remember that every Sunday that we have has been given to us. It's a gift. And Sunday is that day in which the early church, as well as most people today, gather together to remember what Jesus Christ has done and who God is, and we do it together. But this series really isn't designed to just, hey, by the way, just in case you're wondering, this is why we do such and such on Sunday when you show up in one of our worship services. It's more than that. It recognizes that what you and I do on Sunday, so Steve's message last week, what you and I do on Sunday, which is worship God, 
recognize who he is, and respond to him in worship, that when we do that together on Sunday, it helps prepare us for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to worship. And then as we, in every given day of the week that God gives us, as we learn how to worship, then we get to come back together on Sunday, together, and we get to worship him, which then allows us and gives us both encouragement and maybe even a way to worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so that on Sunday, right, Steve, did I, did I, was I listening? Good, okay, great. And then there was a bunch of math stuff that I didn't understand. So you have, you have this, here's what we do on Sunday, here's what we do together, and then this is how we, and there is that ebb and flow. I think it's kind of what the church did. The church didn't just always hang out together. There were times in which they would come together and they would practice certain things to prepare them, to equip them, um, to encourage them in their everyday life. And so do you see what the tagline is? Every given Sunday, practicing for every given day. But by the way, when I say practice, I don't mean, well, it's just practice. No, I mean, it's you and I. Intentionally asking questions about what is it that we as followers of Jesus Christ should do, and then we do it, and then we do it again, and we do it again. It's, it's, it's habit, these habits that we have, the habit of worship. And today we're going to be talking about the habit of fellowship. That's kind of a weird one. I'm going to do my best, and I'll explain it in a moment. I'm going to do my best to not use the word community, to not use the word community. And the primary reason for this is that when you and I think about communities that exist today, our mindset about community is very, very different than the way it was seen in the pages of the Bible. In the pages of the Bible, community was not something that people voluntarily went into. Community was just the place where you lived. Community was the family that you were in. But in today's society, that whenever we think about like a community, we usually think of a couple of words. One is to voluntarily associate with. And we usually think about a community as a collection of individuals who have voluntarily chosen to associate with. Some people call that church. That, that's not in the Bible. The Bible in, in no way describes the church as a collection of individuals who voluntarily chose to associate with one another. It's so much more. And so I'm going to use the English word fellowship to try to describe what this practice is in the pages of the Bible, but then also what you and I do on Sunday in preparation for the rest of the week, in preparation for when we gather again on Sunday, in preparation for the next week that God gives us. I believe this is the, the routine or the, the, the schedule or the plan or the habit that God has designed for us. Five years old, and she comes up and she says, Mom, I want a goldfish. Do you guys remember a moment, something like this? 
Do you remember either being the one to ask for one or the parent trying to wonder about this? And, and here's what you think to yourself. You are not, well, you're five. Yeah, you're old enough to take care of a goldfish. Like, it's not hard to take care of a goldfish, right? It's pretty easy. You just go to Walmart, you get a fish, stick it in a bowl or some kind of a cup, put some rocks in the bottom, and then you tell her, now listen, twice a day, and this is the responsibility that you have signed up for, twice a day you need to pinch a little bit in. She dumps pretty much all of it in which is why this responsibility lasts about a week, right? Is that enough, Mom? <laughs> this responsibility that she, sure, that she was sure that she could handle, um, it's just a goldfish, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't end at goldfish. A few years later, Dad, um, I want a puppy. I-, I promise, what do they promise? I promise to take care of it. I promise that I will, by the way, they have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea. They have no idea the demand that that puppy will be. All they know is I want a puppy and I will say anything to you right now to manipulate you into buying that puppy for me. That's how it works. Um, The number of people that I know, and and you know, it's not just Liesl Prather to Jill Prather, if you know that family. where a young girl in her early teen years really, really, really wants a puppy, promises to take care of it, and never really describes going to school in California and leaving the puppy for the family to take care of. It's just, I promise to take care of it. How many families, how many moms and dads in this room assumed the responsibility of a, see, goldfish is easy, flush, there we go, with that responsibility. (laughs) But we would never flush a puppy We have to take care of this. Like, I mean, literally, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, this, I'm going to have to take care of this. And I don't know, I think dogs live for like thousands of years. So this is never going to end. This is this response. It doesn't end with puppies. Mom, dad, um, just want to let you know, I I think I've found the the young lady I want to marry. Okay, son, um, this isn't a puppy. (laughs) I know, but I'm in love. I know, and, and I get it. I get it. I've been, I'm, your mom and I were there once, too. We get it. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, they, you've raised them right, and they're sure. You're not as sure. And you're trying to be negative. It's nothing about her. It's nothing about him. It's about the complexities and the difficulties of marriage and people sign up for and they say, I promise to commit to. If I had a dollar for every time I had somebody say, is God going to hold me responsible for a decision that I made 15 years ago, I'd be a very rich man. Like I just had no idea marriage was going to be like this. Like I had no idea that we were going to let things fall apart like this. I just had no, I I just didn't know. I know. But if you thought the puppy was hard. Hey, um, mom, dad. Uh, yeah, no, no, Andrea's parents don't know yet. We wanted to call you first. At least I did. You're going to be grandparents again. Well, congratulations, son. Um, that's great. Probably in the back of their mind, they're thinking, I don't know if it's a good idea for Jim to have children, right? That's probably what my parents were thinking. Like, he, I don't even know if he can take care of himself. I'm glad Andrea's involved in this. I mean, this really isn't a puppy. No, but I'm going to, how hard can it be to raise kids, right? Like, come on, it was easy to make them. It's easy to 
Mm, much easier to make them than to raise them. I mean, it's just so much more complicated and difficult. And by the way, I would even say that if we ever like did that backwards, none of us would have kids. If we could ever feel, we'll probably not even get married. If we ever, if we, but truly, understand, I'm, not, I'm not down on marriage and I'm not down on kids. I'm talking about, it's hard. And, and it's, it's, I'm so naive I, I really think I'm ready for this. I think I can do this. You have no idea of the, the monotony and the difficulty, the relentlessness. But, by the way, those, those illustrations are, are, are helpful in terms of what I ultimately am talking about. I don't know if you're beginning to make those connections. The greatest commitment that anyone can ever make, parents will say this, and I, I wanna ask them, do you know that like, what you just said quickly is really true? That a person's commitment to Jesus Christ, mom, dad, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, mom and dad, I'm ready to get baptized, and to make a public confession of my allegiance to Jesus Christ above all other allegiances. Do you have any idea what you're saying? Like, um, goldfish is, until next week, do we part? Puppy, um, until I go to college, do we part, right? Um... Marriage, we, we say this, until death do I part. And, and kids, it's the same thing. Like there's not, to give my life to Jesus Christ is, and there will never, ever, ever be a parting, ever. Think about that. Easily the greatest commitment that we make is our commitment to Jesus Christ. And greater than that is his commitment to us. Do you understand what you're getting into? Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, read the Bible, go to church. Isn't that it? Wow. I think you think you just gave your life to a goldfish. And sadly enough, there are many of us that have never really thought through, maybe even when you came to Christ, you weren't even connecting the dots. Maybe the person who led you to Christ never even helped you connect the dots. Not trying to convince anyone to not follow Jesus, but Jesus, him, Jesus Christ himself said that before you come after me, everyone should what? Count the cost. Like you mean that it's gonna be really, really hard to be good? <laughs> wow, that just shows how much we don't know. So Ephesians 2, the, sect, the text that Brady read is so important for us. Because the text that Brady read was describing the result of someone who gave their life to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. We, by our nature, are wicked and terrible people. And left to ourselves, we destroy ourselves and our relationships. But God loved us so much that he gave us Jesus. And when we put our faith in what Je who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, we find peace with God. Are you with me so far? Awesome, right? That's my salvation. That's me having union with God through Christ. Verses 11 through 22. And now, God takes you and me and the other you, 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 all the you's, and the me. And he makes us one. He, he gives us a fellowship. 
And that's something that we have to, huh. it's, it's interesting because it's something that is, it's just a fact. There is a fellowship called the body of Christ that anyone who has given their life to Jesus Christ has now union with God and, this isn't by the way, this isn't an option, this isn't a choice, this isn't a, hey and by the way, for those of you who want to do the gold star level of it, no, no, no. This is the next natural step. We have union with God through Christ and therefore union with one another as brothers and sisters. And that's what the church is. And so this morning as we unpack the difficulties and the complexities of what fellowship is and isn't, you and I need to honestly come to grips with the fact that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, this morning, I'm not trying to go, hey guys, you really need to just Wait a second, we haven't even done it yet. Okay, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me back up, let me back up. I forgot something. We need to stand and greet one another. Because before I talk about what fellowship is, I think it would be good for us to be aware of the people around us. So why don't you do this right now? Why don't you, I know we usually do it at the beginning of the service, but Brady forgot his fault. So why don't you stand up and greet those around you right now? Greet those around you. Okay, 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 sit down. I got a sermon to preach. Listen, did you hear that? So I'm, I'm preaching and it's really, really quiet. And then all of a sudden, why don't you greet one? And like, did you feel it? How many of you kind of like, this place became alive? Did you sense that? What is that? That's what I'm talking about. That's that. That thing that just happened, that, that's fellowship. Now, you might go, well, wait a second here. That could still be voluntary, and that could still, I, I get it. But what I want you to understand is what I am talking about today, well, let me tell you what it isn't. Here's what fellowship isn't. This, this morning, you're going to think, is Jim just talking about, man, I need to go to church more often? Is it about attendance? And I, I promise you, it's not. It's not about attendance. Attendance is something that actually is, is, is really in, in falling on difficult times right now in America in particular, church attendance is. You read any of the statistics, you actually find out that church attendance is on the decline in the mainline churches more than in just the normal congregational churches. But attendance is on the decline. But not just attendance. It's not like people are giving up on Jesus necessarily, although some of that is happening in our culture. But there's something else that's happening, is that there is also within those people who attend, we now have this category called those who are Christian but don't go to church, <laughs> or those who are Christian but don't regularly meet with other Christians. That's a new category that we've created, okay? And it's, it's growing in its steam and in its popularity. And so when I talk about fellowship, I'm not just talking about being here. 
Like, sadly enough, there's lots of people that come to church regularly. Like, it's, it's like a, it's a habit for them. But fellowship isn't there. What we just experienced, that's not there. And, and by the way, what we just experienced, I promise you, is a sliver. It's, 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 it's a small, small example of what it means when, when people who are like-minded, who have a similar goal and are similar desire, when they come together, like what we just experienced for just a few moments, fleeting moments, is, is kind of what it is, but it's so much more. See, it's, it's not about attendance. And I want you to know that. I, I'm not talking about attendance. As important as attendance might even be. Why don't we imagine that um, I'm the coach and that we're, uh, well, I was going to say a baseball team, but there's no way I could coach that. So a hockey team, okay? You guys probably want to play hockey, so let's pretend we're a hockey team. And I'm the hockey coach. Now, there's a lot of you, so we're going to have to take lots of shifts, but we can make this work. And then, by the way, practice is going to be, and I give you the list of practices, and then you say, do I have to come to all of those practices? Well, I mean, listen, it's kind of a weird question because you wanted to be on this team, and like we're a team, right? Yeah. Like, we're not a hockey individual. We're, we're a hockey team. And so in order for us to, like, know one another and even to care for one another, and, like, it's, so is this about a, te- I mean, I've never, I've never been in a situation where, I, like, I'm, I'm, I've joined this team, so to speak, and, and is this about attendance? No, it's not. It really isn't. But that's just a weird question. So it's not about attendance, but, Attendance is something. Andrea sometimes will say, hey, by the way, are you going to be home for supper? And I always respond in the same way. Is this about attendance? Like you're telling me I can't be married if I don't come home for supper? No, I'm just trying to set the table. This is such a weird question. Well, I just don't want our marriage to be about attendance. When the boys went away for college, I told each of them, Remember that you're a part of this family. And if the only calls I ever get from you are, hey, I need this, or hey, I need that, don't be surprised if those needs go unmet. Is this about attendance? No, it's about family, son. It's about family. So hear me. Fellowship isn't about attendance. I want you to kind of get that distinction. But that doesn't mean that me... Being, not being here, means nothing. The second thing that fellowship is not about, it's, it's not about optional. It, it's not about optional. It, it's not about us making choices. I, I hear this phrase a lot, and I will confess, there was a period of time when Andrew and I first moved to Joplin, Missouri, where we church shopped. We never called it that. We called it carefully investigating where God wanted us to use our gifts, but it was church shopping. You know what I mean? We're just kind of looking around, trying to, and, and hear me, I, I think our hearts were, I hope, in the right place as we're struggling through this, as we're, as we're doing this. But boy, it's interesting that the problem with the word community is that it's so voluntary and it's so individualistic. And, and by the way, sometimes you can walk into a fellowship like this and you can just kind of feel that, can't you? Yeah, like I chose to be here, or I chose to get up this morning, or I chose to, like, is that what church is? And is that the way that God describes it? See, that's not what fellowship is. 
So it's not about attendance, and it's not about optional. Here's what fellowship is, and I'm going to just define you the word. The, the Greek word is koinonia. You might have heard that word. Um, a lot of college ministries or even like just ministries within the church love to use that word, koinonia. So it might be a word that you've heard before. Um, and it's literally just the word that's translated fellowship, and here is how deep the meaning is. It literally means an associate or a partner. Doesn't quite pull at the heartstrings, does it? I was kind of hoping it would be this really deep associate or a partner. But that's really not where the word finds its, um, finds its, its meaning. It's an associate or a partner around a shared interest or goal. And not just a shared interest in the voluntary way. It's, it's used of, in a, sometimes in a voluntary sense, but it's used of like business partners. The koinonia that exists. So Justin and Jim are getting ready to go into business. And we've got a common goal. And we've got a common desire. And we're going to work hard. And we're gonna, this is going to benefit us. It's going to benefit our families. Like we got, they're, they're become, you ever been in like a business relationship? And there's like this, there's me and there's, there's, there's you and then there's like us. It's that kind of like, here's where we're going. You've been on a team? Like the... Not the game, but after the game, or in between the game, or in the dugout of the game, or whatever, riding the bench, there's, there's something else that is existing between us. We're, we're together, and we're pointed in the same direction. It's, a, it's koinonia. It's actually even used of, of couples who are married. The Jim and Andrea, being married, are associates, partners with a, with a common goal and a shared objective. Like that, that which exists between us is koinonia. And so in Acts chapter 2, it says that those people who came to Jesus Christ and found salvation, it says they devoted themselves to the koinonia, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to praying to God, and then this, to, they devoted themselves because of who they now were in Christ to the koinonia. That's what I'm talking about. That shared interest, that shared goal. So by the way, it doesn't have to exist just on Sunday. It should exist all week long. But what you and I are going to be talking about this morning is how can we make most of every given Sunday so that it might be of benefit, glory to God, benefit to others, and a joy to ourselves every other given day. I want to share with you a word of, of somebody that I really have been grateful for in his writings. His name is Kevin DeYoung. He's a former pastor, now a, uh, a professor and he says this, and this, this might shock you, you might not even agree with it, but I, I, I think it's, it's rather true, and I'm going to give some scripture to describe it. He says this, there is a very unique sense in that we are to love our spiritual brothers and sisters in a way which we love no one else. There's a way in which we love our brothers and sisters, in a way that we love no one. I know you might be saying, well, that guy's probably just lonely. Or just he doesn't have a bad marriage, or just his family didn't love him right. Now, what Kevin DeYoung is describing are the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 13, where he 
is explaining and describing and, and, and even more than that, commanding that there be an association, that there be a partnership, that there be a love and a bond amongst his followers that is deeper and greater than any other kind of love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. But by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. You've heard this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone will know that you are on this team. Everyone will know that you are a part of this family. Everyone will know, and Jesus goes on in John 17 to say, and everyone will know that I am the Messiah, and everyone will know that God has sent me by the way that, are you ready for this? By the way that you and I fellowship. That's not attendance. And, and boy, oh boy, the way Jesus describes it, it sure doesn't seem optional. Now, the problem is, is that I'll admit there are some real obstacles for us today. There are some real obstacles to this koinonia. I don't want to just pretend, hey guys, listen, this is what the Bible teaches, and it says they were devoted to it. And so therefore, man, I don't understand what the problem is. No, I know what the problems are, and I know what the obstacles are. And I think it's important that before we just commit ourselves to gather around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, to sing praise to God, to go before him in prayer, and then go on about our week, I think it's good for us to just be aware that these are the obstacles, these are the things that get in the way of our fellowshipping with one another. Even though we say it's not optional, one of the things that is really hurting our coming togetherness, that spirit of coming together, are just all of the options that we have on Sunday morning, literally. And all of those options begin to like pull us away, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally. You know, I got so many options of what I could do today. So did you go to church today? One of, our, one of our elders in our prayer time this morning, we prayed together as a staff at 7.45, and, and one of our elders that was praying, he prayed, and, and Lord, I pray right now. I, it was, you didn't even know what I was preaching, I don't think. And God, right now, I pray at 7.45, he might have been talking about you, um, there are alarm clocks going off right now, and that people are waking up and getting ready to come here to worship you. Yeah, but there are a lot of people who are like, snooze. Yeah. Listen, um, I, I just feel like it's good to talk honestly and openly about the complexities of this optional attitude that many people have. Now, this, by the way, is not a real article. I need to say that right now. It's not a real article. It's written by a group of people that love to write satire about what's going on in our world. But this describes what happens when churches, when Christians like you and I have lots of options. It's not true. Can you hear me when I said that? This is not a real article. Okay, it's a satire title. They tried to make it look like a news article. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents now shocked by daughter's lack of faith. Then they put like a location so you think it might be real. Fullerton, California. Good, it's not Oklahoma. This would never happen in Oklahoma. Local father Trevor Mickelson, 48, and his wife Carrie, 45, are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter, Jamie, to church, 
every Sunday that they didn't have a more pressing sporting commitment, which would have been at least once every three months. That's when they would be attending. She no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith that they raised her with now that she's college age. Trevor Mickelson was simply stunned by this revelation. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club teams, we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter. And aside from that one tournament in 2011, we never missed an Easter. It was obviously a priority for our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy came from. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, lamented Trevor, citing a recently Googled study of Barna or someone like that. The Mickelsons further noted plans that they have to chat with the pastor of their church, but only after their youngest son, Robert Season, calms down a little bit. Wow. Options. Hear me. It doesn't have to be sports. It can be so many other things. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm going to say this. Sports and all of these other things are not the problem. That's why you don't, you don't think that if I thought like sports were the problem, I wouldn't just come and say, hey, by the way, this is what the Bible says. No, there is, here's the problem. There is something that exists in me and us that can be distracted from other things. That's where the problem is. If you were to just stop sports on Sunday, I don't believe that then the object of our desire would then become Jesus. There are so many options that we have. And we'll talk about it at the end of this. So then what is it that we are to do in a time in which there are so many things that we can be doing? Second really serious obstacle, and it kind of connects to the first one, is that we are just so busy. Like our relationships are already running thin. It's hard for us to have fellowship with one another when many of you could legitimately say, man, I don't even get to spend a lot of time with my kids. I, I don't get to spend a lot of time with my wife. Like I feel like I do nothing but just go from event to event to event. Like you're talking about a, a kind of fellowship and this closeness like, I don't even feel it in the most natural, the most pressing relationships that I have, like a marriage and children. Man, I, I just, I, I don't know where the time is going to come from. I, I don't know how things are going to change. And that robs us from a koinonia that we could have together. Here's another one I, I think is important for us to just be honest about. There's too many of us in here. Like we're so big. How many of you just kind of could look around the room right now and find like one or two people that you don't know intimately? Anybody else? Yeah. So you want, you want us to have this koinonia, this fellowship, this shared attraction with one another? Like this, I understand we're having our one-on-one luncheon today. We're gonna describe the church and I will, I'll, I'll I, I will describe the extra work that is necessary to make sure that we connect and are known and, 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 and know others because of our size. I grew up in a church where we met in our house. And by the way, if anyone would like to offer their house as a meeting place for every Sunday, anybody? Couldn't fit? Yeah. 
But I, I think it's, it's silly for us to not just admit that, if, can I put it this way? Some extra work is going to be, need to be done in order for us to genuinely koinonia, genuinely have fellowship with one another. Last obstacle, I think, is that to, to, to be in fellowship with other people of any age, but particularly ours, is really, really complicated. We are so, not just busy, not just distracted, we are, we are so broken, and the needs are so many. I'm just talking about my own, by the way. And so relationships, when I talk about us knowing one another, and, 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 and I'll, I'll, I'll preach like this, and you need to be honest and open and vulnerable with others, and the wall goes up. I'm not doing that. I, I don't do that with the people closest to me, and there's no one in this room that that's close to me. That's why I think it's good for us to remember that the early church, they were devoted to it. Like, things that I have to be devoted to are not just naturally easy. If anything, they're naturally difficult. But worth it. So our obstacles exist and, and that's why it's good for us to recognize, so then what do we do? What could be some very real answers to the obstacles that exist? I, I love this. First John chapter 1, the writer says this about just some, some truths that help hold us together, that help direct our attention. John writes this in verses 6 and 7 of his letter to the church at Ephesus. If we say we have fellowship with him, meaning God, and yet walk in darkness, meaning that we just live sinful lives, we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I love how just natural that is. That if we walk in the truth, if we walk in the way that Jesus has called us to walk, to live, then we have fellowship with one another. Even though we're busy, even though it's complicated, even though there are options. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I, I just love how, like the Bible, in terms of how it describes things, does so much better than a preacher. Preachers, when they don't know what else to do, resort to, come on guys, you should do that. And I love the fact that most of these instructions that we have are descriptive. And the church was devoted to this. It's descriptive. And God has made, out of these very diverse groups of people, one new person. It's descriptive. You, by the way that you love one another, by the way that you fellowship with one another, by the way that you are devoted to your time to one another, you, in that devotion, will demonstrate to the world who Jesus Christ is, and what Jesus Christ has done. Listen, I, I know that Jesus commands it, but it's also an invitation. An invitation. For us to recognize our desperate need with God and Jesus Christ's solution, and then the joy of fellowship that becomes the natural response so as we close 
What are some very real expectations for us? I want to close by, and I'm going to call the the band to come up and and just kind of prepare. And I want you even to be thinking about, we intentionally put the trays out on the stage this morning. Um, We just think it's good for us to not just greet, um, but to eat and drink together, to practice, to be reminded of this. Not because we're not busy and not because we're not complicated, but maybe it's good for us to intentionally direct ourselves toward others. Like maybe what really the Bible is calling us to do is to not figure this out perfectly, but be devoted to figuring it out. Not just canceling our schedules, but creating room in our schedules so that the fellowship that we have, and I'm talking about like every given Sunday, so that it would spill over into every other given day, that maybe it changes the way you walk in this building on Sunday. Maybe it changes where you sit or the conversations. Maybe it changes what time you show up here. Maybe it changes how long you linger afterwards. Maybe it changes how you worship. Maybe it changes the way that you face and instead of always facing forward, and hear me, brother, you're beautiful, so don't get me wrong. Appreciate it but that you pay better attention to the people around you. I I know what we do here in this room on Sunday is not going to fix everything. It was never intended to be. No, what you and I do, like even right now, paying attention, sharing, fellowshipping, is just practice for how we leave here and how we live the rest of this week. So that we can then come back next Sunday and practice again. Here's how the book of Hebrews, the writer says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised, that's Jesus, is faithful. Let us watch out for one another. Like maybe that's what you need to be doing today. There's someone here that you don't know. Here, good news. You don't have to know everybody. Wouldn't hurt you to know a few more. Know what I'm saying? Is anybody not here? Is anybody missing? We can tell when things are beginning to just literally disrupt and break down. Is people, you know this is true, they just quickly remove themselves from association with, don't they? They used to attend regularly, now they attend frequently. They used to attend, or less frequently, and then it just keeps going, and now they're not in life group anymore. We can see how that works, and I love this. Let us look out, watch out for one another, and to provoke to love and to good works, and not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encouraging one another, and all the more as the day approaches. Listen. This morning, it's, it's not, man, I really need to start going to church more. I ask this, that you spend more time reflecting on who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ and the joyous fellowship that you have with those around you. And that as you are together and as we worship together, that you make the most of our time. And God the Father looks down on his children, fellowshipping with one another, and finds great joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. 
Thank you for leading us and guiding us. Thank you for making a, uh, a people for yourselves. And God, I pray that this morning, before we ever try to act like church, may we first, at the very beginning, come to a humble realization that we are. Those of us who've given our lives to Christ are in him. And we are one. We are family. From that, Father, may we act like it. Teach us to love one another. For your glory, others' benefit, and our joy. Amen.